everyone, welcome in to the Irish NFL show. We are special show tonight, folks. It is going to be a show where we look at the schedule release for the international games. We've got five games to talk about some special guests tonight. Have to start off the show with Colm. Colm, you've got your orange on as well. And it's, you know, it's uh, the Broncos coming to Wembley at the end of October to play the Jaguars. We'll talk about that in a minute. I know Brian won't want to talk about it too much. Uh, but his team, the Giants, are coming to London to play the Green Bay Packers. The biggest news of the day is not Aaron Rodgers. It's not the historic franchise, the Broncos, who built international expansion of the NFL. It's Daniel Jones, Brian, coming to London. You must be buzzing. Yes, well, it probably is the biggest news because let's be fair. For large parts of the of the of the weeks leading up to this, I think it was very evident which teams were coming and which teams we were unsure of. So to have it confirmed today that my Giants are coming over is great. They were here in 2007, they were here in 2016, and now they're coming back to play the Packers. Um, as a Giants fan, I'm delighted, obviously, that they're coming, but I also feel, from a competitive standpoint, I think we'd have a better chance in in Tottenham than going into Lambo next. I thought you were going to say Wembley there for a second. I was going to, I was going to laugh. Uh, just very quickly, we're presented by the Arlingas College Football Classic. We will announce our winners on our Thursday. Uh, I, I think on Sunday, lads, this week. Yeah, I always get the days mixed up. It's been, it's been a long week. I thought Thursday was a draft Sunday night show. Tickets to Northwestern against Nebraska are now on sale, folks. That game is creeping up on us. Something serious. And uh, we're also presented by Trust Gaming, uh, the best gaming gear you can get on any budget. Check out Trust Gaming on Instagram and also Mini Arcade Systems. Uh, Ireland's best arcade systems. Check them out. The all the information is below. Yes. So this is us. Schedule released. Uh, Colin Bryan's talked a bit about that there. Before we get your thoughts on that game, we have got the uh, Minnesota Vikings against the New Orleans Saints. We've got the Green Bay Packers going, to, going up against the New York Giants. Both those games are in Wembley. And we've got the Denver Broncos going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars in Wembley Stadium. Uh, and then in Munich, we've got the Tampa Bay Bucks against Seattle Seahawks. And internationally, uh, in Mexico, we have got the 49ers going up against the Arizona Cardinals. I got it all out. Happy days. Fantastic. Colin, uh, Brian talked about his beloved Giants. This is an interesting game for the Packers because I think it changes the complexity of it what, like, completely. Um, different game completely than Lambeau, but you could argue you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of Packers fans. And it's going to be a hot ticket because a lot of Giants fans in Ireland and the UK yeah no certainly i think this game is going to be the the quickest to sell out because the packers as we know are the the one team who have not played in a regular season game internationally up to this point so their you know fans are going to flock i think from all over europe to to see them um the the giants have a, a big contingent of fans here uh in ireland in the uk and around europe so i think that will be one and you know as we we talked about the spurs stadium and it is brilliant for nfl games but it doesn't hold as many as Wembley. So undoubtedly, I think there will be some people uh, disappointed uh, that they uh, won't get to see Aaron Rodgers in the, the flesh and uh, see you know, what he can do with his uh, new wide receivers. Uh, I think he, he's a bit like Peyton Manning. I think yeah, it won't matter. He won't need first-round wide receivers. He makes uh, other those around him look better. But I do agree with Brian, the ability to be able to play the Packers when it's not in Lambeau makes a big difference. They, you know, it, it is kind of... Um, 
it, while yeah they will have been disappointed by their playoff performances they, their regular season, season performances over the past three years under Matt LaFleur have been nothing so short of sensational and Brian obviously the Vikings going against the Saints uh, a good game for neutral I think uh, two teams with good stats of talent on both sides of the ball I, I'm excited to see that game as well in Tottenham yeah, that's that's another enticing game. Like we touched on how the Saints were nearly in the playoffs last year. The Saints have a significant following in the UK and Ireland, the Who That Nation. Um we've heard of them over quite over a few years. They've had some really good years and they're going through a transition. And we've got the Vikings and like we joked on on the show throughout the season, you just never know what Vikings are gonna turn turn up, you know, one week. They beat the Packers last season, you know, the, at home. And then the following week they played a struggling Cowboys team that was banged up and they lost them. You just never know what you're gonna get. I think we do know what we're gonna get. We're always gonna get entertainment, whether they're winning or losing. That's a very good game and an exciting game as well. So I think the, the league have done very well in terms of what they picked. We've discussed in the past, and I think it's unfortunate the game's getting out so early. You never know what the form of the team is gonna be. Come October, but I think it's fair to say I think we're going to have two or three teams there that will be pushing for a playoff berth next season. Yeah, and that goes into the next conversation. Call Russell Wilson playing at Wembley Stadium, regardless of the team. That's that's a big draw. Playing the Jaguars, who are going to be in it. You know, obviously Doug Peterson's a head coach. Like, let's take our hats off here and just be neutral fans. Decent game, good game. Uh, we're obviously delighted, but uh, you you must be a happy man, Colin, uh, this evening. Yeah, I don't think I I can be be neutral uh, on on that. Delighted that the Broncos will be on this side of the Atlantic, and we know that it was supposed to happen two years ago. They were going to play the Falcons. Uh, I think it, it especially for the Broncos. Um, talk about upgrading at quarterback, and I think there will be a feel good factor with Hackett uh, there. But it, it is a Jaguars team who should be much improved from last year. Um, they actually have a, an NFL head coach uh, now and um, not a sideshow Bob uh, in, in charge. They they also have, uh, I suppose, we, we talk, we've talked about it on the, the kind of draft review show. They made, they made some some really good choices on the defensive side of the ball. So they should be a lot stronger. Still probably missing a couple of weapons, um, but it should make uh, for uh, an interesting game. And uh, I think you will see plenty of orange and blue in Wembley Stadium. I'll be there. Avec Bell's on. And we are now announcing that we're, uh, we're doing the show. I'm joking. Uh, we'll see the crack down, down the stretch. Brian, uh, this game in Munich is, is, is a great game. Nobody talking about this all week. And it comes out of the blue today. Uh, Tampa Bay playing Seattle. Like, look, Seattle's got thousands of fans in Germany. This is going to be a great game. It's going to be even harder to get a ticket now if it wasn't hard in the first place. Uh, the twelves are going to show up. Yeah, it's like see again. We're we're looking at two teams who have a strong fan base. Like the Bucks have quite a strong fan base in the UK and Ireland as well. I wouldn't diminish that either. But yeah, to see Seattle come over, it's going to be interesting. Usually, they'll obviously, be dying to get over there as well because. You know, when a player leaves your team and goes somewhere else, you always have that kind of little bit of love for them, and you hope to see them do well in their career. We've seen that. Carl and Pete Carl. As in Mark, as in Mark, he, he was delighted to see Tom Brady win a Super Bowl. So I assume you'll be there, you know, with bells on, hoping that Drew Locke has a, has a good game and beats Tom Brady. Look, I've seen Tom Brady a couple of times play, and um, I'm, I'd say I'm quite fortunate. So for anybody who gets a ticket for that game, to see a Bucks team, and a Bucks team that, you know, in fairness, should be, you know, you know, competing for potentially an opportunity to go back to the Super Bowl. Again, it's another great selection. And that is going to be a humdinger of a of a weekend, shall we say, to go to Munich for the first game. That's the one. I'll be. I'm looking forward to seeing my own team. Is your flight booked? It is. Yeah. Call me. Are your flights booked? 
He's working on it. That is a, a work in progress. Um, I, obviously, being a Broncos fan, that is the, the game I have uh, circled as the most exciting. But I, I genuinely think the biggest party is going to be in Germany. I think that yeah. is going to be an absolutely sensational weekend. Though I, I maintain that I will volunteer happily to cover the Mexico game because that will also be brilliant. And uh, the fact that that is the Cards and the 49ers, I think, will only add uh, to the uh, festivities there. Looking forward to it, lads. We have a special show tonight. We've got beat writers on from every team apart from the 49ers, which we're, we're still working on, maybe coming at the end. Uh, and also the Packers. We were fortunate enough to have Matt Schneidman join us on Monday nights. So we thought we'd just leave it there with the Packers. They're coming to London. Fantastic. Really happy with the games, lads. We're going to start off this show with the Saints-Vikings. We're going to start off with Jeff Duncan. Jeff was the guy that broke the news about the Saints coming to London first. Here he is. Uh, the New Orleans Saints are coming to London this autumn, uh, playing in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium week four against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, look, great to have a, uh, another great game in Tottenham, which has been designed for the NFL. Can't wait for it. Uh, we got uh, columnist from the Times Picayune, uh, analyst, author Jeff Duncan on the show again. Jeff, now you're the GOAT that brought out that tweet saying the Saints were coming to London. Everyone over here was buzzing whenever you done that. Uh, it's an exciting time, Jeff, and I'm sure a lot of Saints fans uh, in, in Ireland, the UK and Europe are, are, are definitely excited for this game in October. Man, I can tell you, I'm excited. Uh, I love going to London. I love Europe uh, and I love the enthusiasm. Every time I've gone, guys, I've been now this will be the third time. It's gotten bigger and, you know, the fans become more knowledgeable, more passionate each time we come visit over there. And I know the Saints have a have a good fan base, I think one of the larger ones uh, in the UK. And so I'm excited to see how that's grown too since the last time we were over there. Yeah, and uh, I think fans will be especially excited because while it may have flown under the radar a little bit in NOLA, but Daniel Whelan uh, has signed a, a deal with the, the Saints. There is an Irishman who has signed uh, as, a, as a punter with the, with the Saints. Um, for, for us, Jeff, it is the first uh, time that there is an Irishman involved in, in the NFL on a roster in 37 years that the Chargers have also signed an Irish kicker. Um, you obviously some changes last year in terms of the, the punters with... Um, with, with the Saints, but uh, do you do you think that uh, we he's in with a, a shot of, of making the roster and we could see an Irishman in a regular season game? I, I think he's got his work cut out for him trying to make the Saints roster because Blake Gilligan, uh, their young punter, is pretty established. He was one of the top punters in the league last year, but just getting into the camp, I think getting on film is what's important for him. I can give you a good example. The Saints kicker, Will Lutz, was uh, in camp behind uh, uh, Justin Tucker in Baltimore. Uh, he was not going to make the Baltimore Ravens roster over Justin Tucker, who's the best kicker in the league. But he got on film. The Saints saw it. When they got down to cutdown dates, they still weren't happy with their kicker situation. 
they signed Will Lutz, and he's been with them ever since and been uh, been to the Pro Bowl. Uh, so I think something like that could easily happen, or you never know. I mean, I don't want to state the obvious, but, I mean, you get injuries involved, uh, you can, certainly can make it. But I think it's more about performing and the Saints officials that see him uh, will put in a good word if other teams in the league are looking for a punter. So I think I think it's a great opportunity. And trust me, the way the Saints run their camp, he'll get plenty of opportunity on film to punt in preseason and get to show his leg off. Jeff, we, we had you on on the Thursday night when they played the Cowboys last season. And at that stage, you felt it'd be very difficult for the Saints to make the playoffs. However, come week 18, they were you know at halftime in that game. It looked like they were the team going into the playoffs. The, the 49ers were losing 17 nil against the Rams. Transition last year from Breeze, now a transition from Sean Payton. Yet we saw the aggressiveness recently with the draft, moving up to get the two picks. They, they, does it feel that they, they really see themselves as a real potential to go and win this division against the Bucs next year? Guys, I think they're a real mystery team right now because we, we don't know what this team's going to be like without Sean Payton and Drew Brees. I mean, they've been such fixtures for over a decade and a half. One of the other has been here the entire last 16 years. So this will be the first time that really we've played a season without that head coach and that quarterback here. So I think it's going to be a fascinating, intriguing season. I think the rest of the NFL is kind of um, sleeping on the Saints a little bit. I mean, they're, they're, uh, I think their odds right now in Las Vegas are seven and a half wins, their total. If you're a betting man or a punter, as you say, uh, that's very low. And I think the Saints feel much more confident about their team and their roster than people do outside of New Orleans. Uh, so we'll see. At this time of year, everybody's optimistic. Uh, but I do think there's reason to be confident because the defense is so strong. I think it's got the potential to be the best this this franchise has had since I've covered the team. And you can win a lot of games if you can just shut people down the way the Saints did last year. Look when they went to Tampa Bay without Sean Payton and shut out Tom Brady and the Buccaneers on their home field. Uh, no one expected that. That shows you the potential of this defense. Jeff, it was, as I said at the start, it was great to sort of get a bit of insight into the Saints being picked as a team quite early from yourself online. And I know a lot of fans over here, regardless of their team, really appreciate that. One thing, and I, ha I have to ask, man, you know, a lot, of, a lot of NFL fans in Europe, but there's a lot of Bengals fans. Was that ever a possibility? Because there was so much talk about that whole LSU factor. And I think a lot of fans will be delighted as well with this Minnesota game for, and with the Saints as well. Was it ever a possibility, or or was it ever looking to you like that might be a possibility? I think I think it certainly was a consideration, but I think what happened is the networks over here recognized it was a game that they wanted to see in the Superdome. Uh, it's obviously a decent matchup anywhere when the, when the, you get Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase uh, both with ties to Louisiana going against the Saints, uh, but it's a much better storyline for the network broadcast if they're here in New Orleans, which is, we all know, in the Superdomes where LSU won the national championship. Those guys played uh, one, you know, the greatest uh, game in LSU football history was right in the Dome. So it, it made sense for them to get it in the Superdome. And I can tell you this, but a lot of people don't know this, but the way it works, these international games, the league gives the teams, the, 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 the NFL teams, a chance to protect the game. In other words, they come to them and say, here's the three or four games we're considering for for London, for the International Series. And the team is allowed to protect the game 
one of their home games. The Saints did not protect the Bengals game, and they didn't protect that because they didn't want to play in the Superdome with all these Bengals fans uh, coming down either from Cincinnati or Ohio or the LSU fans that may live up in the north part of the state that aren't really New Orleans Saints fans. They're more LSU fans. It would certainly make the trip down here and pull for the Bengals in the Superdome. So I thought that was interesting. I don't think a lot of people know that, but a lot of people were blaming the NFL when actually they might have wanted to direct their anger towards the Saints because they opened it up uh, for the NFL to take that game over to, over to London. I think if they had done that, it could have actually, I believe, set it back because I think that homecoming factor for the networks, I think that's going to be such a big sell. I think fans would have been so just, I know I would have been if that happened to, to me and I, the, the opportunity for the homecoming, but we know it's the Vikings. And um, I, Brian um, talked about, I suppose, the, the new era that the Saints have. And we had the opportunity to to talk to a player uh, who the, the Saints took at number 19, Trevor Penning. That referred to by Jim Nagy, who we also uh, had the good fortune to speak to as a dirtbag. But when we spoke to Penning, I suppose what's interesting is he's such a, a great guy off the field. But obviously, he can he when he gets on the field, he goes after guys. He has that nasty streak that they talk about, and he he really can can be monstrous in his ability to to really um, you know bully other players. What's the the feeling in the Saints organization about their their new tackle? Well, interesting you should bring up Trevor Penning because I'm getting ready to talk to his father here in a, in a couple hours. His father, really interesting story about their family. His father's a truck driver. They're really kind of blue-collar people, and I think we see that in the way he plays, right? He's got that nasty streak, kind of blue-collar streak. Uh, but his father actually is a Saints fan. It's random. They're from Iowa in the middle of the Midwest of America. But they grew up, being, at least the family did, being Saints fans. As a matter of fact, they brought Saints gear to the uh, draft party the other night uh, at the local restaurant there in their hometown in Iowa uh, because they were hoping he would get drafted by the Saints. I think it's a perfect marriage, guys. Uh, you know, Pinning, is a, he's got the mentality that the Saints look for in their offensive linemen. He's at a position of need. Now, he's not going to be the same athlete that Teron Armstead was. I mean – he was a rare, freakish kind of mixture of size, strength, and speed. Uh, you just don't find that package very often uh, in a man that size. But Penning is a better athlete than people think. Jim Nagy talked about that. But he just doesn't back down from anybody. He, he just plays with this mindset that he's going to dominate people. And I really believe he'll end up winning that starting job. The Saints have not been afraid to start rookies uh, on the offensive line in the past. And I think they drafted this kid to start, even though I know they like James Hurst a lot. And certainly if there's some kind of setback, Hurst would be the guy to, to step in there. But I think they value him in that backup swing tackle role where he can be plugged in anywhere along the offensive line as your sixth lineman. So I'm really looking forward to meeting Trevor Penning and really looking forward to watching him play. I think a lot of Saints fans are. I think he's going to end up being kind of a cult hero down here. Jeff, if you looked at the stats of Ohio State last year in terms of the wide receivers, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, there wasn't much in the difference. But yet for a long time leading up to the draft, Garrett Wilson was deemed number top 10 pick and Olave was kind of floating in around 20 to 32. I know the Saints moved up slightly, but the end of going 10 and 11, were you surprised that the Saints, you know, some people felt there was a bit of a reach. A lot of people were kind of delighted with the pick. How, how did you feel about it in terms of, do you think, should he be a productive player immediately? No, that's a good question, and, and I think it's a fair 
point, uh, we won't, none of us are going to know if it was a reach or not until three years down the line and we see how Olave produces and how the rest of the players in the draft did. I think the question would be, did you really feel that Olave was that big a difference from, say, Traylon Burks from Arkansas who went right around where the Saints were at? You wouldn't have maybe needed to trade up to get another receiver. Uh, but the Saints had such a high grade on Olave, and they really believed in, falling, uh, in, in following their board. And Olave was very high on their board. They, they had some other receivers way up there as well. Garrett Wilson was up there. But once they saw that the first three went off the board, they, didn't, they felt there was a drop-off after the top four, and they wanted to get one of those top four, especially a guy like Olave who has a different skill set, right, than Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, a big physical intermediate route runner, uh, catches a lot of slants and hitches and outs, whereas Olave is going to be your classic flanker, Z receiver. He's going to have speed to go deep, clear out the defense. So he complements Ingram more than maybe Traylon Burks would have. Burks is a very similar kind of receiver. So I think that also played into it as well. They didn't see another receiver that had those skills at that high a grade level. Uh, but I will say they gave up a lot to get him. And I think it really is a testament or maybe indicative of just how much they want to win right now that they're willing to trade away a lot of assets in the future to try and uh, get somebody that fills a position of need right now. If, if you look at his highlights, really, he takes the top off the defense very quickly in terms of getting down the field. And James Winston has an arm. He can get the ball down there. Yeah. No, I think that, that went into the thinking, I'm sure. Uh, we saw many times last year when Winston was playing uh, that they couldn't have anybody get behind the defense. And when they did, sometimes uh, you know they weren't able to get separation that's not going to be a problem with Olave. The biggest problem for Olave that a lot of scouts question is, is he going to be able to get off the line of scrimmage? That's where, you know, the offensive scheme comes into play and Pete Carmichael uh, putting him in some uh, bunch formations, maybe in, you know, the slot where he can uh, have a little bit of a free runway to get off the line of scrimmage because he's not a very big guy. So that'll be interesting to watch during training camp because we, we all know the Saints cornerbacks are very aggressive very physical at the line of scrimmage. So it'll be interesting to watch and see if Olave can get off the line of scrimmage against the Saints DBs because he's not going to face many more physical secondaries than he does in practice every day. So I think that'd be a good barometer of what lies ahead for him. Excited to see what's going to happen over the next few weeks and months, Jeff, with the Saints. And excited to welcome you to London in October when you're facing uh, the Vikings in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Thank you so much for coming on and for being so vocal with the game over the last few weeks and months. And we'll see you in London. Uh, first pint is on, Brian. Yeah. Hey, guys, look, we might be doing some kind of live chat over there, live get-together with fans. So we'll definitely hope you guys can make it. Well, you're definitely welcome on our show as well. Uh, the morning of the game, it's opposite the stadium. So before you get your credential, you're more up the stairs. You can sit and have a have some fun with us at 9 o'clock on the Sunday morning if, you, if, you, if you'd like to, Jeff. And uh, see you travels. Hey, I, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see the stadium. That's... That's really what I'm most excited about. It looks amazing on TV. Can't wait to be there in person. Folks, the Vikings are coming to London. Uh, not, not like the actual Vikings back in the day, but the Minnesota Vikings are coming to London. Had to do it. 
Uh, we had great, great crack, as we say over here, great fun with this next guest day back during the season. I think it was for like a Monday night or Thursday night game from the Athletic. Uh, Arif Hassan, Arif, a warm, warm welcome back to the Irish NFL show on a very uh, positive day for Vikings fans. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm happy to be back. Yeah, thanks for having me. I don't know, Arif, if you've seen the uh, lad from uh, our shores that done the draft pick. I can't remember the lad's name, but uh, he done like round five from Vegas. He, already, he sounds a bit like me, and I think everyone yeah. was enjoying his accent. Yeah, no, I, I was wondering actually when I saw that <laughs> happening, if you had seen that. So good, good that we had that. <laughs> the last time we, we had you on, we were, we were joking that last year's Vikings would have played the 72 Dolphins or the 2017 Browns close right it didn't right. seem to matter who it yeah. was <laughs> the big big changes obviously in terms of the the front office and the a new head coach what's the the feeling on on the ground like in minnesota with the the new regime in place uh well within the vikings organization there's uh as you'd expect a lot of positivity and optimism uh, you know, anybody who hasn't been fired has been very happy with the way the regime has gone. So there's that. But, uh, you know, when I talk to people in the building, there is like a sense of um, kind of renewed vigor that there's like a different energy in the building. And they're all um, really excited about the direction it's going in. You know, the, all the buzzwords that people use, like things like collaboration, there's a feeling that that is very real. A lot of people feel like they've been listened to, that they've become part of the process. So that's really nice. Um, when it comes to like fans, uh, there's, I think, a little bit more of a mixed response. I think people were optimistic when the hire was announced. Uh, and then since then, the moves that the front office has made, I think, has caused a lot of cautiousness among Vikings fans, I think, just because it looks very, very similar to, to the previous Vikings regime, right? Um, you know, extending Kirk Cousins. So, of course, that's going to be a big element of the team going forward. The way that they conducted themselves in the draft seems very familiar. Um, not that, you know, it was necessarily a bad way to to handle the draft, but it was, I mean, trading back is it, uh, constantly is a very Rick Spielman move. It's very familiar to them. Being focused on on a particular set of numbers, uh, in order to in order to grab guys focusing on defensive backs, those are all very familiar to Vikings fans. So um, there is the sense that maybe um, you know they're they're running on a hamster wheel and not really going anywhere. Um, but you know people are willing to obviously give the the new coaching staff a chance once the season starts. But there's a little bit less optimism. Arif, and that comes to my question around the draft last Thursday night, and more so around the reward for for moving back because. I know every draft is different, but last year the Bears went from 20 to 11. It was it was evident they were going to take a quarterback. But at the time last Thursday, when the Lions went from 32 to 12, a lot of people felt maybe they were coming up for Malik Willis potentially or Pickett. And yet the, the Vikings walked away with not a fourth-round pick for next year. Was that something that you felt was disappointing in terms of what the fans felt about the situation? Yeah, no, I, I think that a lot of fans didn't like the the trade compensation that the Vikings got for moving down 20. Um, if you look at two of the other trades that occurred right after the Vikings had picked, which were not nearly as dramatic in terms of, uh, you know, total movement uh, across the board. In fact, one of them was only for two spots. Um, if you compare them to like contemporary trade charts, you know, they were wins for the team trading down, losses for the teams moving up. That was not the case um, uh, with the Lions trade. Um, the difference, though, I think, is that um, if you looked at kind of more analytically inclined database charts about that are focused on outcomes in the draft as opposed to what teams have historically done. Um, that does come out as kind of a win. And so to me, this is the kind of trade where the Vikings 
could have gotten more and didn't. Um, but if this was the only offer that they had on the table and the Lions weren't budging, maybe maybe it was better than it wasn't um, to make that trade. It was just like difficult given kind of the market conditions for a trade, even when it's a non-quarterback, because when teams trade up for a quarterback, they give up a lot more. Um, so th that I think is, is part of it is that that trade down, I think was disappointing to a lot of people. And it just doesn't feel like very much when they announced it, you move up a little bit in the second round, you gain a third round pick. It's just not very much for 20 spots in the first round. So, um, yeah, it's it, that I think is part of it is that the trade down didn't feel like you got a lot out of it, but, um, at the end of the day, the Vikings probably got more value out of the trade than if they had picked at 12. So th there is like a redeeming quality to that. And one thing that I know a lot of fans over here are going to be happy about, obviously, is this game being announced today. The Vikings playing the Saints in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, have you had a chance to go to a game with the Vikings in London or if fans? Uh, I'm not sure if you've been to this Tottenham Stadium. I have to say for anyone maybe watching this or listening to this in, in Minnesota, um, it's, it's a hell of a stadium and it's built for the NFL and I'm sure the players will love it. Yeah, no, I've been to to two London games, once uh, against the Steelers, once against the Browns in 20, 2009 and 2013. And I believe both were at Wembley, um, which uh, is not quite built for the NFL um, in terms of in terms of the uh, the way the players operate on the on the field. Um, but Tottenham um, uh, was built specifically with with this uh, share in mind. And so uh, hopefully the turf won't be as torn up by the end of the game. Uh, <laughs> it was like a big concern. Uh, and, and I'm excited to, I'm excited to go to, to the Tottenham stadium, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be heading over. Um, and I think, um, building with, with that in mind or, or having a field that is a little bit more capable, I think we'll produce some better games because I think a lot of the London games that we've been seeing, you know, some of it's just the quality of team that's been, <laughs> that's been in London, but, but some of the, some of the, uh, some of the, some of the games, uh, have been, um, a little bit, uh, messy affairs. And so hopefully having a, a tighter game and having a better product for the fans is going to be good. Yeah. As somebody whose, uh, team is going to be at Wembley, uh, and, uh, it very often resembles a plowed field after the, the game, uh, <laughs> I'm wondering, will that be the same again this year? But, for the, the Vikings, they will be coming to London with Kirk Cousins at QB. And obviously, a lot of speculation, you know, uh, before the, the deal was signed. But given the, the landscape, as you look around uh, maybe the, the NFC and, you know, the you, you saw the commanders make uh, an interesting move, let's put it that way, for Carson Wentz. And uh, right now, the, the Seahawks have um, Drew Locke season and having suffered through three years of that at the Broncos, um, Think they could be in for a shock what what's your take of um the the vikings bringing kirk cousins back and, and getting that new deal done yeah uh, i i think that the vikings are convinced for better or worse that um they've got a team that has got the ability to compete in the playoffs and kirk cousins is decidedly a better quarterback than a lot of the other options out there including you know drew lock and carson wentz and so they've got you know opportunity to leverage the fact that cousins is a talented quarterback um into you know potential playoff spots um the issue of course i think is that really to me the goal especially in a playoff format instead of like a league format um the goal is to beat the best quarterbacks in the nfl that's who you're going to play in the playoffs more often than not and i don't know that cousins can do that and so from that perspective i think that the vikings may have made a mistake that you know it's it's tough to rebuild and blow up and decide to move forward without a, a clear quarterback on the roster and obviously you know the opinion of the nfl was that this this year's draft did not have quarterbacks that had that capability um but i i think that committing to cousins for two years makes it difficult for the vikings to say 
that they've got a really good chance of winning the Super Bowl, especially with how cap-strapped the roster is and how many resources they don't have available to them. So I, I thought that, largely speaking, it was not a wonderful move on the Vikings' part, but I understand where they were coming from, given the landscape of available quarterbacks. Um, it just signals, I think, to a lot of the fan base that, you know, you're going to see more of the same. And, you know, the same is what got the previous regime fired. So it's not exactly, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the biggest vote of confidence from the fans' perspective. Arif, having taken time to, I suppose, review the players in which they did draft last Thursday, Andrew Booth in the second round, I mean, for large parts of the first round, a lot of people felt the likes of the Bengals, potentially the Bills. The Bills did go cornerback, obviously they went a different direction in terms of which player, but a lot of people felt he was a first round talent. Um, he, he's, a, he's an exciting cornerback that could really do good things for the team. Yeah, no, he's super athletic. His highlights are really fun to watch. Like he's just, you know, laying out for interceptions. He's got a really great sense of where the ball is. He's got, I mean, he's a former receiver, so he's got really good ball skills. He's got a really great ability to get his hand on, on some thrown passes. So, um, you know, he's exciting to watch. He's got really great burst, fluidity, balance, athleticism. The reason that he fell, you know, as far as he did, um, is because of concerns uh, about his health and his injury history. Um, actually, when we were talking to him on on the conference call right after the draft pick, he said, yeah, this is going to be you know, the first season I've played since middle school where I'll be healthy. And, and he was saying, like, you know, as good as I was, I'm going to be even better because we're healthy. But we're all saying, well, you've never been healthy. That's a concern. <laughs> I don't know if that's a positive. <laughs> like, I get what he was trying to communicate. But to us, it was just like, oh, so you've been injured literally every year that you've played football at, at anywhere near a reasonably high level. So, red, so red that, flags. That's, yeah, that's red flags. Yeah. And so that's why he felt, right? Because there were a lot of medical concerns he had. Um, uh, he had, uh, two surgeries, uh, his core surgeries, uh, in the, in the lead up to the draft one right after the season, then a cleanup surgery to, to get everything done, which is fairly normal. Um, uh, earlier in April, uh, maybe late March, um, he had a hip stinger. He had, um, I believe a concussion. He had a patellar tendon tear, which is a big concern. He had a little bit of a tendonitis issue in high school, although that was largely because of a growth spurt. So I don't think that that is going to be a, a persistent problem. Um, but yeah, a, it's just a, a lot of injuries and a lot of different parts of his body. <laughs> it just feels like um, that they are they are playing with fire a little bit. But each individual injury that he sustained, aside from the patellar tendon tear, um, does not really have a history of being um, a consistent problem going forward. So I think that that's what the Vikings were kind of banking on. But at some point, you just you just have to like this guy just keeps getting hurt. I don't know. But from a talent perspective, certainly he's a he's a first round player, um, and and he's really phenomenal to watch. You know, when when he gets to play at Clemson. Looking forward to seeing him play in London. Looking forward to seeing you in London, Arif. Uh, at Arif yeah, absolutely. NFL. It's going to be good fun, man. Hit us up whenever you come over. But thanks so much for coming on. And uh, look, the time is going to fly in until October. Uh, take care, man. Chat soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Jacksonville Jaguars are a staple of the uh, local market now in, in Ireland and the UK for coming over for a London game. Uh, this year's opponent is going to be none other than the Denver Broncos. Finn Collins going to be very happy with that there. We're delighted, myself as well, we're delighted to welcome in uh, Denver 7 uh, Broncos expert analyst Troy Rank to the show. Troy, uh, a great day to have you on. Yeah, listen, we thought we were coming to London to cover the Broncos, uh, what, a couple years ago during COVID against the Falcons. Um, I remember talking to you guys then. So been looking forward to this. The Broncos had an international presence, you know, early on in the process. It was a hallmark of Pat Bolin 
and his ability to convince basically other owners that how important it was to spread the NFL worldwide. So this is important for the Broncos and their brand. They're expanding in Mexico as we speak. And what better time, guys? They actually have a quarterback. Their planet quarterback after Peyton Manning, I think, was A, B, C, D, E, F, U. And now they finally have Russell Wilson. So it is a great time to be a Broncos fan. I think Colm's very happy, lads. Colm, you're very happy, yeah? Just just a smidge. And I suppose on that, Troy, um, you know, uh, two years ago, it would have been Drew Locke's season. Now it's Russell Wilson's season, a Super Bowl winner. You've been on the ground there. Uh, Russell's taken part in, in the voluntary um, kind of workouts and whatnot. We've seen him interact with Hackett on the field. What is the, the feeling like uh, around Dove Valley, the Broncos training facility with Russell Wilson in the building? Yeah, if you can imagine what an acoustic concert sounds like, and then you plug in Eddie Van Helen's electric guitar, that's the difference from a year ago. It's caffeinated from Coach Nathaniel Hackett, who has just Red Bull energy for days, and Russell Wilson, who has this positive vibe. He has the resume. Just his resume creates accountability among the players, similar to what I saw when I covered Peyton Manning. When your best player, guys, is your hardest worker and he runs from drills, like from when the whistle blows and he runs to the next drill as if he's a JV high school player trying to win a spot on the roster, that sets an example. And I'm watching it every day that guys are like, I mean, if the nine-time Pro Bowl quarterback who's won a Super Bowl takes it this seriously in practice and obsesses over every detail, how can you not if you're the backup running back how can you not if you're a backup player how can you not if you're just a starter and so we've seen it permeate the organization they're just in a really good spot i don't know if hackett can coach i really don't he's never been a head coach he's a great presenter he has great energy and he has leaned completely in to innovation and connectivity he understands the modern athlete i coach kids from my son my two sons from there basically five years old till 19 in a variety of sports, namely baseball, you have to relate to the modern athlete differently. They have the attention span of a ferret on an espresso. And if, if you think you're going to present it in a way you did in 1980 and they're going to pay attention, they don't. You could say they should, but they live in 30-second increments on Twitter, on Instagram. And that's what Nathaniel Hackett understands. So he's created this value of relationships, value of energy and wanting, creating an environment that people want to come to work. And you can see that. And then you have, oh, by the way, we have Russell Wilson. So it's much easier to come to work when you know every Sunday you look at the most important position in sports and you feel like you can win, even against Mahomes, even against Herbert, even against Burrow. Like, I'm not saying you're going to win, but now you at least feel like you have a chance. Troy, as a, as a non-Broncos fan, it's hard not to know what's going on with, with my two colleagues here, my two friends who talk about the Broncos 24-7. <laughs> but um, on the outside looking in, there was a bit of a mixed reaction to last weekend's uh, draft. Obviously, no first-round pick because of the trade in which we discussed, but kind of a mixed reaction. Some, some are very positive, some are a bit down. Your thoughts on the whole situation? Yeah, listen, their first-round pick was Russell Wilson. So if you view it in context with they use assets to get Russell Wilson, that makes you evaluate the draft differently. If you draft, if you evaluate the draft in a vacuum or a silo and say, okay, they reached on two or three picks, namely Montrell Washington, the fifth rounder, who could be their punt returner, most saw as an undrafted free agent, Luke Wattenberger, 
the the lineman from Washington again viewed as undrafted as a guy that would have could have been signed after the draft. That's where their draft grade really you create this variance because some people that evaluate the draft they just look at it. This is where a guy was projected. This is where you took him. That's a negative grade based on the variance. What I would say is I trust George Payton. I mean, just because I cover the Broncos, because in Minnesota, they led the NFL in second contracts for rookie players. He has a history of succeeding in the draft. Last year, he drafted six impact players uh, that played a huge role. And the other thing you have to understand with the draft, as your roster gets better, it's harder to draft because nine guys aren't making their roster. It's not going to happen. When last year you have six impact players, it's reflection of a crappy roster. That when all rookies start making your team, that's not a great thing. That means your team stinks. And so it gets harder to draft. Uh, I love the pick of Nick Bonito because I don't trust the availability of Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb. I'm rooting for both of them. Gregory's story, I don't know him well. And Chubb, I personally like. I've, I've always admitted, I want him to succeed, but he's been an every other year guy. Now you have Nick Bonito, who's an established, I, I joked on my Sunday program, he knows more about swim moves than Michael Phelps. This guy is the best college pass rusher by technique. Not He's not Aiden Hutchinson, but he has great get off. And he's a guy, if you put him in a rotational thing with uh, Cooper, Jonathan Cooper, Malik Reed, he can help you. And that's that's where I look at it. Dolchik, I don't know the tight end, but if Montreal Turner becomes your, or Montreal Washington becomes your punt returner and Nick Bonito is your third pass rusher, is that a successful draft? Again, if you want to validate the analytics, I understand that. My son works for the Dodgers in the minor leagues right now, my oldest. He, he lives in the world of analytics. I get it. But in the context of this draft, I, don't, I think you have to wait to apply the analytics because you have to at least have the context of Russell Wilson. That is their draft. He was their first-round choice. But we'll see. I'm just, as if we sit here today, if this were John Elway's draft, I don't know that I would give him the benefit of the doubt because he had some ghost drafts. I'm going to give George Payton the benefit of the doubt based on his first draft. You're certainly right, uh, Tom, at getting that pick in the first round. Russell Wilson at nine, uh, a, a lovely pick. I'm biased. Uh, talking about this London game, Troy, uh, I've seen a few reports last night, and this obviously is in no way confirmed whatsoever, but there's talk maybe of a potential game for the Broncos against Carolina before going to London. Can you maybe envisage uh, for Broncos fans watching this or even Jaguars fans watching this as well, interested to hear um, maybe a, like a, a game on the East Coast and then a short trip over and maybe getting over a few days early, Wednesday, Thursday? Time. Yeah, listen, when they were going to play the Falcons, that was the plan, that they would play the Giants on the East Coast and then go from the Giants to the Falcons or whatever it was. I can't remember. But it was definitely the plan to be on the East Coast, stay there maybe a day and then fly over and essentially spend a couple more days in London. I mean, again, the Broncos are embracing this. It's not easy for teams. You guys know that you've covered this game. Way I've never covered this game. And some teams embrace it and they lean into it. And some bitch about the travel, bitch about the time change, bitch about playing in the morning. Like, I get it. But for me, if you're the Broncos and you've missed the playoffs six straight years, only the Jets have done that. You've got to lean into some of this stuff. My only hope would be you don't lose to the Jaguars because they're going to have some really tough games in prime time. You're going to have – I mean, they may end up being the Thursday opener against the Rams. I think it's going to be the Bills, but they might be that opener. You're going to play the Chiefs in prime time. You're probably going to play the Chargers in prime time. You're going to play the Seahawks in prime time. And my hope is they don't have those stacked against them the first six weeks where you get off to a, you know, a two and three start and there's – 
I'm hoping those are spread out more equally. But we think, you know, we, the belief is when you play the Jaguars in October, with all due respect to the Jaguars, and I love Trevor Lawrence, you got to beat that team. I mean, it's just that simple. If you're a good team, you beat bad teams. That's how you become a good team. And then you split with good teams. The Broncos, I used to joke, they're like, oh, my God, look how easy their schedule is, so many easy teams. I'm like, how do you think they look at the Broncos? They are a cupcake. Like, these other teams look at them the way the Broncos used to look at teams back in the 90s. So that should all shift this year when you have a great quarterback. It was like the Peyton Manning. You roll out of bed and you beat bad teams, and you're much more competitive on the road. That's what I love about Manning. Anytime he went on the road, he could still win. Bad teams don't win on the road. Yeah, Troy, one of the things I suppose that, um, you know, the the league ever changes, but life in the trenches is life in the trenches. The Broncos haven't made enormous personnel changes. B Billy Turner comes in on the O-line. DJ Jones comes in on the D-line, but new coaching staff. Can you talk to us a little bit about what maybe you expected to see on uh, the O-line and the D-line uh, for the Broncos? Yeah, listen, the O-line's critical because they're changing to that out zone, outside zone run scheme. I covered that when they won the Super Bowls. And people forget. I mean, like, oh, they were, they were unbelievable, and every lineman was under 300 pounds. But they had every guy on their line was either a pro bowler or Hall of Famer except one. I mean, you had Schlereth. You had Tony Jones. You had Gary Zimmerman. I mean, you had great players and a great scheme. Um and the zone scheme requires mo more mobility. It requires a little different skill set. I'm hoping it brings out the best in Garrett Bowles because he's a phenomenal athlete. Maybe this gets him a little bit more in space. But the zone scheme, and Mark Schler, it's a good friend of mine. I mean, it's, it's almost like you're a part of a you know, Broadway dance troupe. You're in this group together. You're links in a chain, and you move, move, move them right, and then the running back cuts behind it. I mean, Terrell Davis was the best I've ever saw waiting it out, patience, put the foot in the ground, and then come behind that fence. And it is different. It's not that it's necessarily complex, but if you've been a grunt lineman who's playing strength and bowling guys, that's not the zone offense. That's why they valued Billy Turner. Turner was just an ordinary player, frankly, when he was with the Broncos previously. But in this scheme, as a right tackle, he makes more sense. And they need bowls to rebound. There's going to be a lot of, com uh, a lot of competition up front. Is Cushingberry going to win the center job, or is that Graham Glasgow? Is it going to be Quinn Miners at right guard and Reisner at left, or is Glasgow going to be in the hunt for that? I don't know. They seem really willing to keep an open mind with Butch Berry. The defensive line is just better for a couple of reasons. They get – I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but Enye Ozo Mazawike, I believe I got it right, from Iowa State, and they add him to DJ Jones and Draymond Jones. And this should allow Draymond Jones to have almost Pro Bowl-type numbers. DJ Jones just devours ball carriers. He was a just an absolute beast against the run last year. And so it's not really scheme on the defensive end because the scheme's not changing. It's just bigger bodies. It's bigger bodies with guys who have a history either in college or pro at stopping the run. But, Colin, you're right. Last year, they got run off by teams against Cleveland, against Oakland, against the Eagles. I mean, Jalen Hurts had one completion in the second half last year against the Broncos, and they still crushed them. It's because they couldn't stop the run. That's why when anyone tells me the Broncos' defense was great last year. No, it wasn't. It, just because they, only, they ranked third in points allowed, they were terrible again in takeaways and terrible in sacks. Why? Oh, why? Because their offense sucked. 
and you can't be a great defense when your team never leads. This team should lead. So to your point about the defensive line, it should be better because you are now dictating the terms to the offense instead of, oh, they're leading by 10. They don't put anyone in harm's way, blah, blah, blah. So I'm expecting them to have a special defense. Maybe they don't allow 18 points a game, but they need to be in the top 15 in takeaways and sacks. That has to improve this year. Troy, you touched on there that you can't really analyze the the draft in a, in a vacuum, you know, without taking into consideration that they've traded for Russell Wilson. When you look at the division and how aggressive all the other teams have been, you could potentially relate to, you know, if people look at the Broncos, if they've got Russell Wilson, they should go to the playoffs. But because of how aggressive the other teams have been, that may not be the case. What do you think is a realistic good season for the Broncos next year with Russell Wilson there? Yeah, listen, the AFC West is going to be an absolute cage match. Um, the the Chiefs are still good. They're going to miss Tyreek Hill this year because everyone's like, well, it's just speed and you replace speed with speed. No, you don't. There's no one like – I mean, he's a unicorn. I watched him for, whatever, five years. He was undefeated against the Broncos. Patrick Mahomes is undefeated against the Broncos. But you had to account for Tyreek Hill. It wasn't just his numbers. Because you had to account for him beating you over the top, it allowed Kelsey to just absolutely kill the Broncos. But And the Chargers got better. They got better in the pass rush. They got better at corner. I mean, they're a better team. And for me, Justin Herbert is a young John Elway in terms of the way he plays the game. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but he certainly has the athletic uh, attributes to be that guy. That's how good he is. But you ask, I think realistically for the Broncos is 10 and 7, 11 and 6 for, you know, win, try, win one playoff game. Anything more than that, and I understand the enthusiasm for him, I just think even in Manning's first year, there was a bit of a learning curve. And there's going to be this year because you have a coaching staff where pretty much every member of their coaching staff has never been in that position before. So there will be a learning curve. Wilson can bail you out some. But I think realistically, high end is 11-6. and 10-7 and seven has to be the floor because that gets you into the playoffs. If they miss the playoffs at 9-8, and eight, it would be a huge disappointment. I mean, it just would because you have Russell Wilson. But I see them as a playoff team for the first time since Super Bowl 50 and a team capable of – should be capable of winning a playoff game after that, I don't know. Because if you don't win the division and you have to go on the road, I mean, it's it's hard to win on the road, and I don't know. But to me, they're a playoff team, and I think we're going to see three AFC West playoff teams, Chargers, Chiefs, and Broncos uh, for me. That's how good the division is. I mean, there's, listen, if the Raiders got in, I wouldn't be shocked, but I see three playoff teams in the AFC West. It's going to be a great few months ahead. Looking forward to the season to start trying. Looking forward to seeing you in London as well this October when the Denver Broncos <laughs> play the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you need any advice, food advice, travel advice, you hit us up. But uh, thanks for coming on, man, and we'll uh, chat to you again soon. And don't, uh, uh, just, of course, folks, I'll Troy Rank on Twitter, and you're also the host of the Broncos podcast with Troy Rank. I've been listening to this really good stuff. Check it out, folks. Troy, thanks so much. You guys are the best. I love your passion. I've told you that. You do amazing work. You get way better guests than me, so I feel privileged to be able to sneak onto the show. Uh, can't wait to get out there. I'm looking for. I've never been. I've been to, I think, 43 states and Mexico. I've never been to uh, across the pond, so I can't wait. Brilliant, Troy. See you soon. Thanks, Troy.
The great thing about the London games is we always see the Jaguars. The last game I seen at Wembley was the Texas against the Jaguars in 2019. We're delighted to welcome in Laurie Fitzpatrick from Touchdown Wire and other platforms as well to talk about the Jaguars-Broncos game taking place at Wembley Stadium this October. Uh, what Laurie probably doesn't know is me and Colm are Broncos fans. We're going to keep this light, keep it good. Laurie, uh, a very warm welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I uh, I feel like I've deserved this, though. You know, my last name is Fitzpatrick. You know, I'm, my whole family is from uh, the northern part of Ireland. So I'm just glad to be here, honestly. Have you any idea where? Because that, that's where I'm from. Have you, have you any idea where? Like uh, um, guess, Near like uh, Donegal, I think. There you go. Yes. Donegal? Yeah. D- Donegal. It's it's Donegal. it's a good spot, and there's uh, loads of NFL fans up in, in in Donegal, and there's also a massive Jaguars fan in Ireland called Stevie. I'm going to give him a big shout out right now. Uh, look, yeah, that's my boy. <laughs> it's 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 a big welcome in, and Colin, uh, I'm sure you, you can tell Laurie about your experiences in Wembley Stadium. And I, I mean, I'm presuming Laurie, you, you you've been to a few games in London. Have you have, have, have you had a chance to see the Jaguars right. over? I have actually this one this flag right here is like one of the best uh flags that they gave out um in the stadium uh this was 2017 uh that was sent to me actually I'm not sure if it was Stevie that sent it to me but somebody did um but I went to the 2008 game against the Eagles I was there um and uh yeah that was amazing uh just the stadium in general is almost like breathtaking honestly like when, when you get to sit there and really really just imagine all the all the amazing soccer teams football teams that have gotten to uh to play there um i was just honestly really happy to to be in the stadium so and those press box seats are fantastic they're pretty low too so it's not like i'm, I'm way up there or anything so that was pretty cool yeah, it's a, definitely a little bit different on this side of, of the Atlantic. But the I suppose the 2022 Jags are going to look a little different from they did last year. Uh, Super Bowl winning head coach in, in situ now. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, the much talked about generational talent at QB. And Trayvon Walker, the number one overall pick and um, potential uh, superstar at, at edge. What's the the feeling, Laurie, uh, around what this um, this Jacksonville team could potentially do in you know th- this season? Is, is it like is it looking to just move on from the Urban Meyer era, or or is there a feeling that maybe they can surprise a few people and, and win more games than people expect? Yeah, I think a lot of people are just happy to move on from him. Honestly, uh, they want to act like it just never existed uh, because it just looks bad uh, for the franchise. So uh, getting Doug Peterson is just a a breath of fresh air. Uh, They expect the defense to be a lot better. Uh, The the Jaguars defense last year was bottom five in several categories, time of possession, opponent quarterback rating, uh, red zone TDs given up. Uh, so that's really what the focal point of the draft was, was to get some players and to put some pressure on the quarterback and, and uh, not allow that line of scrimmage to move further and further up. Uh, so, yeah, it's just it's exciting. Um, I think it, they're a little underwhelmed in terms of the offense. A lot of people were hoping that maybe they would go a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball. But I think uh, the whole Saxonville term, uh, may come back in uh, 2022, just with the draft picks that they selected. 
Laurie, early on, I suppose, leading up to drafts, initially everybody felt they would go offensive line. And then what you saw in free agency was they went heavy and then obviously they tagged Cam Robinson. Obviously, as, as the week led on last week, it was evident they were going to take Trayvon Walker. But the Jags moved back in to the, to the first round to take Devin Lloyd, who's a really significant player. And you had a very interesting piece on them. Were you surprised that they came back up to get a player that, I suppose, that caliber? Because he looks like he has a, a great career ahead of him. Yeah, no. I, I was surprised, actually, because uh, they needed a linebacker. You know, that was no surprise. But I think landing Devin, Devin Lloyd was the perfect pick because he's able to drop back in coverage. And that's really what they need after getting Foyer. Uh, I'm not sure how to say his last name, but he was the free agent from the Falcons. I don't want to say it wrong. So, um, But uh, we just call him Foyer. So uh, Foyer is a... Uh, sideline to sideline linebacker uh he's pretty much a miles jack replacement uh and then now with devin lloyd he can drop back in coverage he can also rush the passer he's more of a free player um and i think him having the ability to drop back in coverage is the best part about his game and i think it's something that the jaguars have been missing um you know for the last couple of years now Laurie, I've seen some great articles on your Twitter accounts. Folks, we're going to link it down below. Is there anybody else that's maybe stood out to you in this draft that you've been excited about or, or anyone has even come in as an undrafted free agent over the last few days? Uh, yeah, so the the Jacksonville Jaguars picked up Kevin Austin Jr. Uh, he is from Notre Dame. He's a wide receiver. He's really tall. Um, man, I, I, I didn't happen to get his tight. I think he's 6'2", uh, which, you know, isn't bad. Uh, but he can play on the outside, uh, and I th- I'm really surprised he went undrafted. Honestly, I, I made a whole Twitter thread with a lot of his highlights. Uh, I think he's a possession receiver. He's a guy that can come in and and I think he can uh, compete with Zay Jones. Uh, they're they're one of their most recent free agents from the Las Vegas Raiders. So I think him and Zay Jones have a chance to kind of compete for that Z uh, that Z outside receiver. Um, position but i think kevin austin he's definitely be he's going to be a guy that's going to be in jacksonville for a while as an undirected free agent i think he'll do pretty well i suppose larry last season after um you know the what, what seemed like a kind of a never-ending losing streak it was matthew right with the the last second field goal to to win the game and, and get the the win in london um, he was kind of the, I, I suppose, a feel-good story, made headlines later in the year for uh, other reasons. Um, is, you know, I, I suppose, is is he, um, do you think, is he cemented in? Or are, are we going to, um, you know, the, the Jags have had issues, I think, uh, with, you know, moving, they moved on from um, Lambeau, they brought in Matthew Wright. Is he cemented in? Um, and, and what do you expect from the, the Jags special teams in general in 2022? Uh, yeah, I, I think that he's definitely going to be, uh, I mean, he should be the starter, but it's a high turnover rate for kickers, right? Because if you miss once or twice, then they kind of give you the boot. Uh you know, no pun intended, but uh, yeah, no, I think that he does pretty well. Uh, he did last year. And then the two corners that were picked the sixth and seventh round for the Jags, I think they're uh, going to be special teamers as well. Uh, some gunners on the outside that are quick uh, that can get down the field and uh, and 
you know, basically do their job, just tackle the punt returners. So, no, I think Matthew Wright is going to be that guy. Um, but it's always good to bring in competition. You never know uh, what's going to happen or guys can go on, like, missing streaks, you know, where they happen to miss. It's it's that's a hard position, I'll tell you, to be that skilled and consistent. Like, it's, it's not easy, so it's tough. <laughs> Laurie, when free agency started, uh, you could argue the Jags were the most aggressive team. You know, early on in the, the period, you know, Christian Cork, Evan Ingram assigned, Brandon Sheriff, offensive line. Sheriff. You know, yeah, a lot of people on the outside were looking in going, my God, they're going mad. And the contracts that they were giving out were quite significant. Others said they have to overpay to get players to go there. Do you feel that's fair? a fair comment that people were saying that they need to offer these extortionate contracts as opposed to get people to go and play in Jacksonville? Uh, to a point, I do I do believe that uh, unless you get a really big free agent, uh, like a guy like Calais Campbell that came over to Jacksonville uh, as a free agent, you know, he was a guy that could call his buddies over and say, hey, you know, come to Jacksonville. But unless you have a guy like that who's going to bring other free agents with him and make a lot of calls, uh, it's not something that that like happens often. So sometimes, yeah, you do have to overpay. Uh, to get those really big uh, free agents. And uh, I think they did a little bit of overpaying. You know, I think you're right about that. I, I think that's fair to say. Um, but they need it. And if you looked at the cap space, uh, in like when the offseason started, Jaguars were second uh, in most cap space and the money uh, that they had. So I think it was fine to be aggressive, especially after you, uh, if, you if we look at what Urban Meyer did, he barely signed to anybody uh, last year. So it was kind of like a, a big wasted year. I think they kind of needed to go overboard it just to be average, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Laurie, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what this Jaguars team can do over the next few weeks and months. We, we'd, we'd love to have you maybe on during the training camp or towards the season starting, and we're going to link your socials below. But f- thank you so much for coming on the show, and maybe we'll see you in London this October when the Broncos play the Jaguars at Wembley Stadium. Oh, that would be awesome. It's it's Broncos are going to be really good, man. You know, you, you guys got Russell and and I don't know Jerry Judy. I, I like uh I like what the squad has. So I'll, I'll, I'll it would be great if I could get over there. Um, but uh yeah, you know you you never know what's going to happen. The NFL first came to London in 2007 and the first game was a momentous occasion. Uh, first game this year in Munich and we've been waiting for the opponent for months, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're playing the Seattle Seahawks in the Bayern Munich Stadium, the Allianz Arena on the 13th of November this year. We're delighted to welcome Seattle's AP sports writer Tim Booth to the show. Tim, first off, welcome. And secondly, I am so happy we now have no connection issues like last week. A very, very warm welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, and I apologize again for uh, the connection problems we had last week during the draft. It's all good, man. And look, usually I ask people if they have any Irish heritage, but I think on the show that we have tonight, uh, have you ever been to Munich before? I haven't. I'm buzzing to go, and this is uh, it's going to be fun. I have I have not been to Munich. Um, I'm very much hoping that uh, I can talk my way into this trip because, uh, A, I've, I've never been to Germany, period, and B, I would really like to see um, where Bayern has won all their all their championships. I'm I'm not really a Bayern fan, but I'm a I'm an appreciative 
uh, soccer fan from the, from the U.S. So getting a chance to see where they play would be pretty cool. And I, I think German fans, this they have been waiting for for this for for so long. Obviously, a regular season game, so it is going to be quite the the party, I imagine. But is it is it going to be Drew Locke taking on Tom Brady? Is is that where this is headed? Do you think? That's a it's a great question. Um, I think we learned last week with with how Seattle approached the draft that they're really going to give Drew Locke and and Geno Smith their opportunities at at winning the job. Um, so yeah, it absolutely could be, uh, it could be Drew Locke playing against Tom Brady, which is kind of weird, to, weird to think about. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's going to be a very interesting next couple of months The the Seahawks uh, got on the field this week for the next phase of their off season program, which actually meant that they could actually do a little bit of team activity um, offense, defense separate from each other, but you could kind of see, see guys, you know, running routes and, and, and doing things like that. So this week, I think really starts the um, evaluation period to see, you know, where they, where they go and who might have a, a lead in the competition. Pete Carroll talked last week during the draft that Geno Smith has been in the program. He understands the offense. He has a better grasp of it, but, um, but Drew Locke is going to get every opportunity he can to, to sort of try and win that, win that opportunity. So, uh, I, right now, I have no idea who's going to be the quarterback come come November in in Munich. But I, it'll be a very fascinating few months to see, and it absolutely could be Drew Locke. Tim, interested to hear your thoughts on your fourth round pick, Charles Cross. You know, bearing in mind Russell Wilson was always voicing his concerns around building an offensive line around him. The army of the first draft since he left is an offensive line guy selected at number nine. You know, it it. It's it. I mean, everyone made the comparison as soon as the draft pick was made, and and it's understandable. Like here is here was Russell for years talking about, hey, can we address the offensive line? Can we make it better? And then what do they do with their first draft? They address the offensive offensive line and and try and make it better. To to their credit, I mean, Seattle's has hasn't been in or was not in that position of drafting that high for twelve years before Russell even got there. There's a lot of similarities to that 2010 draft that you find with with what Seattle did. Um, last last week in, in the draft and Charles Cross, he was regarded as the best pass blocker um, in the draft. Clearly, this is an offense that is still going to be predicated around running the ball and having that be the focus. But you got to be able to, to block when you when you drop back and pass. And so that's they went with the most elite of the of the pass blockers um, that was out there. And and the the one concern with with Cross is the fact that he hasn't done a whole lot of run blocking, that he played in a, in an air raid style offense for the last couple of years of his college career and was in a two-point stance. But no one doubts the athleticism. No one doubts the, the raw talent that's there. Um, and now it's a matter of getting him up to speed with, with the NFL system and, and some of the requirements and, and you know, things that are needed to be, a, to be an elite run blocker. Um, in the league, especially playing on on or in Seattle's offense and the style they want to play. Tim, obviously working at the Associated Press and the Seahawks came to London in 2018. The thing that's interesting for the Seahawks is the location of where the team is in the U.S. And for any fans over here, if you're not sure where Seattle is, go check it out because it's literally as far west as you can go. You see a lot of teams sometimes, Tim, maybe go towards the East Coast and then go to Europe for a game. You know, you're going further than London this time. Um, 
what sort of thing do you envisage? I mean, I, I know I know it's all TBC, but could you see Seattle maybe spending a few days in Munich, especially with being the first game and and just sort of getting used to the time zone and I guess the 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 climate, and maybe potentially a game on the East Coast the the, the week before and November sixth on November seventh. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they approach it. Um, in when they went to London, it, let me start again. The, the Seahawks have a very sort of strict travel regimen that they follow any game that requires them to go more than one time zone they always leave on friday so if they're playing in the central time zone if they're playing in the eastern time zone they always go out on friday for a for a sunday game it, when they went to london I, i've actually tried to think back to how they approach things in in 2018 i believe they left on on tuesday night or wednesday um, it was one or the other. They, I think they went through a practice. They left. They flew in the evening from Seattle, arrived in London the next sort of midday, mid-afternoon, um, and then had a couple of days of practice before they played the Raiders. I could envision them doing something similar. It's, you know, Munich is further, but it's not that much further um, than going all the way to London. It's, you know, maybe adds an hour to your to your travel itinerary when you're flying, you know, over the top of the pole and, and going that route. So I could see them, but I, I, I would, I would anticipate that they would probably get there at the latest on Thursday, have a couple of days to get acclimated to being in, in Germany, to being in Munich. This is also a, a situation with it being the first game there where the league could step in and say, Hey, this is a big deal for us to finally make that footprint in Germany to have the first game there how about you guys go say Monday or Tuesday and really try and do some outreach, do some community activities, do some public events in order to, to just kind of grow things from, from there. So the league might have a little bit of a say in this kind of in the similar way that they do with the Super Bowl and, and when teams are required to arrive to things. Um, but my guess is that Seattle would probably be in by Wednesday, Thursday at the absolute latest and have a couple of days of acclimation before um, before playing the Bucks, yeah, as you say, Jim, what the league wants, the the league usually gets. But Michael has said that you know Munich is a long way from Seattle, but Dublin is a long way as well. And yet, from here, certainly online, you could sense that the Kenneth Walker pick seemed to divide fans' opinions. Um, you're you're uh, close to the ground. What was the reaction over there to to the pick? Fans' reaction was, "Why is it needed?" My reaction was, this says something about Chris Carson and, and the issues that he has coming back from the neck injury and the surgery that he had last year. And, and Pete Carroll, after after this many years of, of being around Pete, you sort of learn kind of what his code words are. And some of the ways he talked about where Chris Carson is in his recovery and trying to come back from this this neck surgery, it was very... Um, cautious, and it and it and it made me think. Okay, there's a decent chance that Chris Carson either is not healthy enough to play again, or certainly is not going to be ready to play by the time we get to September. So when you put it in that context, going out and getting the guy who was the Dope Walker Award winner is the best college running back in the country, who po had the second most yards rushing last year at the collegiate level, who seems to have excellent vision and feet an ability to break tackles, and ability to break off big runs, it makes a lot more sense at that point as to why they would spend a second-round pick. There's also some history involved there, and if you look back over the last 5, 10 years, 
there's been some home run second second and third round running backs that have really come to be some of the most elite guys in the league. And, you know, Derrick Henry might be at the, at the top of that list right now of those guys who, you know, they weren't first running backs in the first round really aren't valued anymore, but you get to that second round. And if you find the right guy, it can really be a home run pick for your, for your team. So I think that's sort of the optimistic view of, of why Kenneth Walker made sense at that spot in the second round and where he could immediately come in and, and sort of fit and help, um, this offense, especially again with how Seattle wants to really predicate everything around being able to run the ball successfully. Tim, one, one player all the fans in Europe will look forward to seeing is DK Metcalf. And over the past month, himself and, and Brown have been, I suppose, linked to potential trades. We saw on draft night Brown going to the Eagles. But coming this week, we've seen DK Metcalf being a bit more positive about potential long term deal being put in place. Do you imagine that will get resolved over the coming months? Based around what DK said this week, yes, I, I would. And based around what the Seahawks have said, I, I would think that some sort of long term deal gets taken care of um, probably in the next two months. I, certainly before training camp starts, I think you're going to find that something's been done and put in place. Um, and it makes sense, too, because the market's already now been set. You know, there was the, the A.J. Brown deal in, in Philadelphia, I think, was the first. Well, A.J. Brown getting traded, but. The A.J. Brown deal in, in Philadelphia, I think, was the first domino in moving the process forward and being able to say, OK, here's here's what his market value is. Now, here's where my market value is in relation. And now that that's done and out of the way, I think that actually helps speed along the process of getting something taken care of. The funny the, the odd part is all of those free agent wide receivers or potential free agent wide receivers, that group, were all essentially represented by the same agency. And so whoever was the first one to go, they were setting the market for their buddies. And, and essentially that agency was setting the market for the rest of their clients. So now we've seen the A.J. Brown deal. I would anticipate a DK deal is probably going to be in the same ballpark. Maybe it's, you know, a few few million, million here and there. But you're going to see roughly a, a very similarly structured deal would be my guess. And very similar numbers. Um, when it comes down. But I, yes, I do anticipate something getting done in, in the relatively near future. Well, Tim, thank you very much for your time. I'm looking forward to seeing the Tampa Bay Bucks take on the Seattle Seahawks in, in Bayern Munich Stadium, uh, the FC Bayern Munich Stadium for official sponsorship reasons. First time ever game in Germany, the 13th of November uh, this year. Can't wait, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on. I recommend everyone to follow you, Tim, on Twitter as well. Uh, just type in Tim Booth and we'll link you on Twitter as well, Tim. Thanks so much. See you in Germany. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Okay, folks. Uh, look, this game in Munich is going to be incredible. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Seattle Seahawks. We're delighted to welcome in Greg Iman from The Athletic. Greg, uh, Welcome to the show. It's it's exciting. It's, it's it's an exciting day for Bucks fans across the world. Absolutely, it's nice to be on an international show for an international story. It's it's going to be a great game now in November the thirteenth in in Munich, Greg. It's 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 the first time a game's ever been in Munich. Before we even look at the Seahawks, but you know, for, for the Bucks, this is a incredible opportunity. And now with Tom Brady back, it's. It's something for fans to, to really look forward to, whether you're in the U.S. or Europe as well. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, when this game was announced, this was kind of in that window where Brady was still retired. So it's almost, uh, it's just a bonus that Brady's a part of this game. But obviously, it, it elevates the game in a huge way. I mean, in terms of global, international stars, that the NFL probably doesn't get bigger than Tom Brady. So uh, neat for them to have this, um, to kind of have a taste of one of the NFL's biggest stars as their first experience with NFL football there in, in Germany and in Munich. And the, we know the fans in Germany will turn out in force and it will be a great occasion. The other thing that has changed since the Bucks were announced as the home team is Bruce Arians was the head coach when it was announced. That is no longer the case. How has the Todd Bowles era begun as uh, somebody who's there in Tampa Bay? Yeah, it's been neat and, and really almost as seamless a transition as you can have. Um, I'm not, I can't really think of another coaching change where everybody stayed in the building and kind of just changed offices, if you will. Um, Todd Bowles has known Bruce Arians for, you know, almost 40 years. Uh, so I think it's a lot of the same philosophies. Um, I think Bruce is still there in the building to kind of act as a consultant, but this is very much Todd Bowles team. Um, and it'll be neat to see, you know, I think he'll have a lot of the same, just as Bruce gave a fair amount of autonomy to, uh, to Todd Bowles on the defensive side. I do think Bowles will have the same thing with Byron Leftwich in terms of trusting him to handle that side of the ball, having certainly uh, input and influence on, on how the offense runs, but but kind of trusting him to handle that side of the ball very much like a, a 1A or a second head coach almost. Greg, interested to hear your thoughts on the draft last week. You know, the books have obviously moved out of the fourth round, but looking at the, the eight picks in which they did do, they seem to have covered a lot of bases in terms of where they've gone. They, they've cornerback, defensive end, tight end, running back, positions of need in, in some parts, but they see great flexibility around what they did. Yeah, I thought, I thought they did a really good job of, of filling kind of the obvious needs, if you will. Um, we kind of thought defensive line and guard would be the most obvious um, just positions they need help at. And it just so happened that really worked out pretty well to line up with the talent they had. I thought they did well to move down six picks from the first round and still get Logan Hall um, pick up two extra draft picks, which kind of helped them uh, with some later trades. Um, Luke Gedeke looks like a really good guard, a guy that can step in uh, and really develop, be a starter from the beginning, but but really improve and, and be an asset for them in the offensive line. And then the rest of the team, I mean, you think about Rashad White in the third round as a running back that will help them, uh, really good pass catching back uh, to draft a punter, um, to get a tight end in Kate Otten. They like him a lot. Uh, Zion McCollum, the corner they traded, kind of used a future draft pick, if you will, to uh, to take in the fifth round. And even the late guys. I mean, even the, the second tight end, uh, Coquette, seems like a fun one. And, and we don't really know that much about Andre Anthony. He's coming off an injury. Um, he'll have a tough go as a seventh rounder. But uh, I thought they did really well just to get uh, a good collection of guys that, that met their needs and, and give them a little short-term help, but long-term help especially. This has been an incredible journey to get to this point, Greg. We have had dates leaking on social media websites, which have gone unseen for days and weeks. We've had the, the whole talk around Kansas City. You know, for, first off, did you think, Greg, I mean, I, I think we all sort of were of the opinion we, we've had the GM of, of NFL Germany on. I think privately we all thought it could be the Chiefs, and it probably changed when, when, when Brady came back and sort of keeping that back to the US. But this is still a great game with, with, with Seattle, and it might be one that the box might prefer because of the strength of team, but at the same time, you can't. Uh, you, you obviously have to take both teams as seriously. Oh yeah, I, I do think it would have been a lot for the NFL to move the Chiefs game overseas. Um, I just think it's such a big game in their portfolio that to have that game uh, played 
you know, whatever, 9 a.m. on the East Coast here in the United States probably minimizes the audience. That That's a big selling game for their TV packages. Those TV partners are paying billions of dollars to televise these games. So I think it makes sense uh, to make that game a, a jewel for one of those as opposed to sending it overseas. You know, Seattle, um, that's a long trip for them. That's about as many time zones, I think, as an NFL team has traveled. Um, but uh, it will be neat to see how it comes together. Seattle, obviously, is not the same team without Russell Wilson. Uh, makes life a lot easier for the Bucks that way. Uh, but they're still, I mean, especially, you know, getting to play internationally, they're going to want to show up and have a big game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. Greg, um, a, lo- a lot of familiar faces returned after Brady made his announcement. So uh, Jensen is back. Leonard Fournette is back. But one of the guys who joined, Ru- Russell Gage. Now, I get the feeling Tom Brady, we've seen him do it time and time again. He makes those around him look better. Um, we saw Peyton Manning do the same thing. He earned Eric Decker a lot of money. What do you think um, Russell Gage is capable of in this Buccaneers offense? They're really excited about Russell Gage. I mean, they kind of caught it at just the right moment where they got Brady back and you had the allure of a big quarterback at the exact same time that Atlanta was struggling with whether they keep Matt Ryan or not. And it allows you to pluck a good receiver away from a division rival. I mean, this is something where, uh, you know, he's he's a $10 million receiver. So now to have not only Mike Evans, got shadows on my face here, uh, not only have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, but have Russell Gage now. That's a strong number three. If Godwin isn't ready to come back, that's a, a solid number two for them. And then a lot of d- just depth behind them. I mean, there's, they're going to be cutting receivers, the Bucks will, uh, that will be playing for other NFL teams this fall, I think. Uh, Greg, you know, when Todd Bowles took over the role, there was a kind of a suggestion that why wasn't Byron Leftwich given that opportunity. And obviously they've kind of leaned towards someone who has previous head coaching experience in the league. With the Jets, is Byron Leftwich kind of a man in waiting in terms of potentially next offseason he will get his opportunity to be a head coach somewhere else? I really do think so. I mean, I think another year of Tom Brady, another year of this offense being a top-five offense in the NFL uh, with any postseason success at all helps him. I mean, this is one of those where if there were any concerns about Bruce, this kind of being his offense and that diminishing Byron's role in that, I think this helps take care of that. There's definitely, you know, he's been the play caller, but now he's, He's the head offensive coach on this team, if you will. So I think that helps him. Um, you know, I think there probably was expectations he would get more looks besides Jacksonville last year. Um, one of the right situation. I don't think Jacksonville was that it. I, I do think Byron, to his credit, um, has done a good job of, of saying you don't have to take the first job that's offered to you. You want to make sure you have a good job and a good situation with the right uh, control and the right front office and all those kind of things. He'll be in really good shape. Uh, I don't know if there'll be quite as many openings this offseason coming up as there were this past offseason, but uh, it'll be fun to see how it shakes out and, and how he's involved with that. Greg, we we really appreciate coming on for this show and, uh, and coming on in such short notice after this game has been announced. And it's an exciting game and we want to uh, you know send our best wishes for you traveling over to Munich. I'm sure we'll get the chance to say hello in Munich. And uh, you know what, Greg, Greg as, as we say in Ireland, the time will fly in. And uh, obviously enjoyed it the, the the next few weeks and months. Hopefully we can chat before the season starts about the Bucks and, and, and sort of the, the plans ahead for the season. But really appreciate you, man. And uh, chat soon. Thanks again, guys. We'll have to do it. Please, absolutely. We'll do this again before the season starts. It's still three months off.
folks, we're really excited for the London games this year, uh, and we're hoping folks to have some great teams over. And one team that might come uh, to London this year is the New York Giants. We're recording this before any announcement has been made, and we're not sure yet in terms of what's going to happen. We are delighted to welcome in Paul Dottino to the show. Paul, you've been on previously. It's great to chat to you again. Good to see you once again. I hope everybody's well. Thank you very much, Paul. I, I, I know everyone's excited. Brian's excited at the prospect of this happening. Have you been to London before? I mean, it, it would be a great prospect if it, if it does happen. Yeah, well, the Giants were there in 2007 when they played at Wembley and beat the Miami Dolphins. You guys will remember that's the uh, day that Eli Manning showed how quickly he could run the 40-yard dash when he scooted into the end zone uh, in that win against the Dolphins on what was a very wet and rainy type turf. Uh, and the Giants beat Miami. And then in 2016, the Giants um, went over there and played against the uh, Rams. I was on that trip. I did not make the trip in 2007, but I was with them for the trip uh, against the Rams. That one was very well remembered for the fact that Odell Beckham Jr. had been injured the previous week, and he made the trip, and there was a game-time decision as to whether or not he would be able to play. And the people over in London were, of course, ecstatic uh, when Beckham made the trip, but they still didn't know up until game time when the inactivations were going to be announced whether or not they would actually see Beckham play. As it turned out, he went through the pregame warm-ups. The trainers, the coach, Beckham had a conversation. They decided he would play. He was used sparingly in the game, did catch one very important pass for the Giants down in the red zone, but in reality, it was Landon Collins who had a pick six, a very athletic pick six, when he ran horizontally across the field a couple of times on a zigzag as the Giants wound up coming from behind and beating the Rams that day. Finally tonight, it's time to look at this Mexico game. Uh, we're going to try and get over to Mexico and see what happens. But for now, we're joined by someone in Arizona. Delighted to welcome back from ESPN, uh, Josh Weinfuss. Josh, uh, welcome in. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Hey, if you guys end up in Mexico and I'm there at the same time, I'm buying the first round of shots of tequila. We're doing it. I, don't tempt us. Don't tempt us. And like, this is the thing. Like, you know, obviously, we're based in Europe and we're looking at the London and, and obviously Munich games. But it's, it's still important because, like, there's, I have to say, I know, um, Paul, sorry, uh, Josh, there's so many people that have logged on to our website over the last week and a half from Arizona and Mexico. So a lot of people are interested in this game. 49ers cardinals if i'm correct that was the first ever mexico game so a lot of people interested in this game it's going to be a good one for 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 a late night monday night in ireland yeah it's going to be awesome it is going to be fantastic the atmosphere is going to be great obviously the first um nfl game back in in mexico um since the pandemic uh these two teams obviously have a lot of history being in the same division together so that i mean this could be a pretty big game um on top of all the hoopla going you know surrounding it being in, in mexico city um, from a, a playoff perspective, like this could be a massive game and playoff with playoff implications and whatnot, or it might not, depending on how the Cardinal season goes, right? There's really one of two ways in that. Um, but no, it's going to be awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great experience, I think, for everybody. So I just hope you guys are there. I mean, I want I want, I want to drink some tequila with you guys. That's really what it comes down to. Well, I, I certainly, the food, the beer, the tequila, the weather, yeah, I, I signed me up for a, a, a game in, in Mexico. The crowd, the Azteca, everything about it, I think, will, will be fantastic. But unfortunately, Josh, not everything uh, for the Cardinals over the past few months has been so fantastic. Uh, ever since that game against the Rams, um, 
things haven't gone as I think the Cardinals would have liked them to go on and off the field. Um, how big a year is uh, is this going to be for Cliff? Massive. Massive. Uh, to me, it does not matter that he got an extension back in March, which I was surprised about. I think a lot of people were surprised about. I think if this season does not go according to plan, and the plan to me, that would be playoffs. Um, and I'm talking like if it goes pretty bad, I think that we could see a change made. Um, at the head coaching spot, I know, you know, owner Michael Bidwell obviously was not pleased with how the Cardinals were absolutely embarrassed on national TV against the Rams. Not happy how the last two seasons have ended because they should have been in the playoffs in 2020. And then last year, they should have been, you know, at one point, they were the best team in football. They should have been a much higher seed than being a wild card, you know, maybe even the number one seed in the NFC. And that's, I, I put a lot of that on Cliff Kingsbury, you know, especially when DeAndre Hopkins went down for the second time last year, Kingsbury he didn't really do much to adapt and adjust without without Hopkins. And he did nothing that made defenses say, oh, no, we got to worry about what, what Kingsbury's doing. So now we lose, you know, the Cardinals lose Hopkins for six weeks, the first six weeks of the season. And that's going to be crucial because we know how this team fares at the end of the season, right? Like, we know that they bottom out once kind of that midway point hits. So they need to be very, very good early. So if that does happen, they're still in a safe spot when it comes to the playoffs. But no DeAndre Hopkins leaves him without that weapon that kind of changes the entire dynamic for this offense. So obviously they traded it for Hollywood Brown. That's going to be a massive upgrade for their number two. But at the same time, if he's your number one for six or for six weeks, how does this offense adapt? They have four months until week one, essentially. That gives Cliff Kingsbury a ton of time. And if he can't figure out how to win games without DeAndre Hopkins and how to make sure this team, A, is in a good position when he comes back, B, does not bottom out in the second half of the season, and C, can get to the playoffs and win. If he can't do those three things, I, I find it hard-pressed to think that he's going to be back in 2023, especially with all the stuff that's happened around Kyler Murray. Josh, the Hollywood Brown trade um, on the night of the draft, the value of that trade, people were quite surprised. Now, a few days on, I think it looks like the Cardinals probably knew what was coming down the line with the Hopkins, with the Hopkins six-match suspension, and maybe they felt they were in a position where they had to make that move. Were you surprised about like giving away a fourth round pick for a player that a lot of people didn't don't feel he's at that level to get the Andre Hopkins type player? No, I wasn't. I mean, look at it this way: like, who would they have taken in the first round at that point at a receiver that would have been better than Hollywood Brown, right? And I know that's kind of like what, what Steve Kind the GM has been saying, but I think it's to some degree very true. You're not going to get someone better than Hollywood Brown at that point at number twenty three if you were picking ten. You don't make that trade, you take somebody and you roll with them. But at 23, there weren't a ton of great options left on the board that were at a caliber of, of or anybody who really was at a caliber of Hollywood Brown. And, you know, uh, part of the storyline is that Kyler Murray has been asking for offensive help, for weapons, for a couple of years now. And this was obviously a, in part to replace Hopkins because they knew that was happening, and in part to placate Kyler Murray. You know, he, he's, he's, he asked them very specifically for C.D. Lamb a couple of years ago, asked them for Tristan Wirfs, a couple of years ago. They didn't give him either one of them in the draft. I think it was 2020 draft. So this is kind of their way of saying, you know what, we are going to give you the help you need because if we don't have DeAndre Hopkins, which they saw how that fared last year, but now they knew that they weren't going to have him this year, they need to give him people that he can win with. And I think this is, I think when, when, when we take a step back and look at how the draft unfolded, how their free agency has unfolded, this was best case scenario for them, in my opinion. 
obviously Josh Arizona having that sort of market now in 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 Mexico and that's their main priority we have seen certain teams now announced today that have got Mexico as their main market for example the Broncos playing in London uh, could you see the Cardinals playing overseas like London again soon or, or do you think Mexico is their main sort of focus at the minute a lot of Cardinals fans in Ireland and the UK and Europe Man, I, I hope so. I love London, right? I, I just love going there. Per, this is all personal. Right? This is me being selfish. I want to go back to London for a week. I had an absolute blast. I've been twice. Like, that game was wild to me, right? It was just, it was awesome. Like, playing, you know, American football in Twickenham, like, it was freaking fantastic. Do I think they'll probably go back anytime soon? Probably not, simply because the NFL has given them um, Mexico as one of their home markets. Now, what's interesting to me is I spent, I spent some time about five, six years ago in um, Monterey, Mexico, for a story. And the one thing I learned then in talking to people recently for a couple other stories in Mexico, the Cardinals aren't a really popular team down there, right? Like the the, the, the big teams in Mexico are uh, the Raiders, the Steelers, the Browns, which is wild to me, and then somewhat of the Cowboys. But those are, you know, the Cardinals weren't even mentioned to people I talked to, which was a little bit surprising. Obviously it's a, a, a border state, um, they do have a history of Mexico, especially Mexico City. Um, but, you know, football is still kind of figuring out its way in Mexico as a country. So I'm not terribly surprised. But, you know, I think this comes back to kind of the situation that this state and the state of Arizona dealt with for a long time before they got the Cardinals is, you know, fans tend to or people become tend to become fans of teams that they watch on TV. Well, before we had all these packages and games available all the time, generations watched the teams that were always on TV in America, which were the Raiders and the Steelers. They're on TV all the time and somewhat the Cowboys. How the Browns are involved, I have no clue why the Browns are popular in Mexico City. No clue. But um, I, I do expect, you know, if the Cardinals do start going back and playing international games more often, I wouldn't be surprised if they get, you know, another maybe one uh, game in, in London, a slim shot maybe in Germany, which would be an awesome trip. But I think we're going to see them more in Mexico than anywhere else. Um. Josh, you, you touched on some of the things that Carrots have done to appease Kyler. Um, he he wants a new contract, but the last time we saw Kyler on television, there were three Super Bowl winning quarterbacks sitting on the Manning cast talking about the things you need to do as a leader when your team is down. It wasn't very complimentary towards Kyler, and they are guys who have quite a few Super Bowls between them, five rings. Um, is Kyler going to get that contract from the Cards? In short, yes. I think I think they have to give it to him because you know the one thing we, we talk a lot about around here is who's behind door number two. That's the big question this team has to ask themselves. What are what is your option if you don't have Kyler Murray as your quarterback? Are you going to start fresh? What what's the risk there? Who are you going to find? Do you have to go draft someone? Do you have to go? To have a blockbuster trade to get somebody they have themselves a franchise quarterback he just needs some fine-tuning and some polishing do the question then becomes so you give him this mega contract right it'll probably be in the 250 million dollar range at some point how much time do you give him to be that guy and what do you do to get him to be that guy my answer is you need to move on from cliff kingsbury at some point he is not an nfl caliber head coach I think the Cardinals missed the boat this season. I think what they should have done was you fire Cliff Kingsbury and then you promote Vance Joseph and then you bring in Jim Caldwell as your offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach and let him groom Kyler Murray. 
because Cliff Kingsbury, while he's a great offensive mind, there's no doubt about it. Generally speaking, we didn't see it with DeAndre Hopkins out last year, but he's not really an NFL caliber coach. Kyler Murray needs someone who has experience coaching top tier talent. Jim Caldwell, he coached Peyton Manning. I think guys like that is who he needs to take his game from here to here. Um, Will the Cardinals do that? I don't know because I think in some ways, if they let Cliff, if they fire Cliff Kingsbury, not only do they have to pay him a ton, which obviously isn't an issue because they gave him the extension, I think it means that the owner Michael Bidwell and the GM Steve Kime are going to be admitting failure. They're not too, both of them are not fans of doing that. Now they will if they have to. They did it with Steve Wilkes, but I think a situation like this, when you go all in your coach and all in your and your and your quarterback, you don't want to admit so soon that you failed in this situation. So I do think he gets his his extension. I know Cliff Kingsbury has tried very hard to get him to watch videos of Tom Brady, of uh, Russell Wilson, of Aaron Rodgers, to watch them, watch their body language, to study how they lead men, lead, how they're a leader as a quarterback in the huddle, on the field, off the field, all that stuff. Has it paid off? We haven't seen it completely yet. I think he's growing. He's still 24 years old. I think there is a lot of time and room for him to develop and grow, but I think obviously if the Cardinals want to take that next step, he needs to do that pretty quickly. Josh, from, from the draft class last week, is there anyone in particular that you're really looking forward to seeing? Like Trey McBride, a lot of people felt for a long time he'd be a third round pick, and as the, the weeks like went on, he was always a given he'd go in the second round. Yeah. Now Cliff at times does have an expansive offense, so he's the kind of guy that could have a, could be really dominant there early on in his career. Um, can I tell you nobody? No, I'm just kidding. Um, of everybody, I probably I think Trey McBride's probably the one guy I'm excited about the most to watch. I think he has that unique skill set of tight ends these days, very similar to Zach Ertz. He can be that pass-catching playmaker, and I think that could go a long way in this offense. Because like you said, you know, Cliff Kingsbury can get creative like that. He, he, you know, his first year here, he loved using tight ends. He hasn't really used a ton of them since. But I think now if we see a guy like, you know, Trey McBride in the mix, lining him up with Zach Ertz, I think could be really interesting for this, this scheme. You know, we don't know where max williams is with his knee injury so i think this is kind of a a a a pick that for another weapon as well as an insurance pick because we don't know like i said where max williams is in his development and i'm sorry recovery um from that acl injury so um i think he has mcbride has the skills in the game to to have an impact and i you know the way cliff kingsbury moves the ball around he's not there's not gonna be a lot of pressure on this kid to come in and be instant offense right there's not gonna be a lot of uh, demand on him to to play well immediately. He can learn um, as he goes and contribute at a slower pace, which I think this is going to benefit him. But it's also going to give the Cardinals another option, another weapon, and give Kyler Murray another weapon, which he's wanted. I think that could help in the long run. Josh, uh, look, obviously it's going to be interesting to see this game in Mexico. It'd be great to have you on again, maybe before the season or you know when the season starts. Hopefully, see you down in Mexico. Appreciate, man. You know you've been incredible with your support really really appreciate it and chat to you soon wait i have a question one more question if we're all in mexico city are we doing this live yeah yeah if if we can all get down yeah that's what we what we do in london uh josh again we have live shows on on the rooftop facing the stadiums we were forced to do that last year and that's what we're planning again but we'll work on the mexico one pretty shortly maybe we'll detour to cancun on the way maybe I'll be there with you. I'm going. 100% I'm going. (laughs) Thanks, Josh. And everyone watching, good night. Thank you, Josh. Thanks.